Hi, folks. Welcome to the Man Overseas podcast. This is episode eight, if you're counting at home. As you know, we talk about the journey to financial independence and self-development. I'm still in Mexico, and since my guest today enjoys traveling also, we may get into some travel talk. Um, his name is John Harrelack. He's a 24-year-old software engineer from the Keystone State, that is Pennsylvania. He's taken a keen interest in personal finance, and I think you'll be able to tell by listening to him that he has a real passion for the pursuit of FIRE, which I talk about a lot. FIRE is, of course, the acronym for Financial Independence Retire Early. He and his wife, Sam, have a blog called howtofire.com. So without further ado, let me introduce John. John, welcome to the podcast, man. How are you? Good, man. Thanks for having me. Sure. Sure. Before we get into your story, I was reading through your blog this morning and noticed that you had a travel hack section. How do you justify being a fire blogger and writing about travel hacking Las Vegas of all places? <laughs> so uh, while travel hacking may not be directly related to fire, uh, I think it's, it's something that many people in the fire community uh, do partake in, um, you know, reducing their costs on their vacations, uh, which yeah. enables them to save more money. Yeah. Yeah. But Vegas of all places. I mean, I can't think of a more expensive place to visit in the States. Why would, why Vegas? Uh, so I, I've been to Vegas a few times now. Um, it, it's a lot of fun. Um, and, and, and if you're responsible enough, you, you don't have to break the bank when you go there. That's a good point. Yeah. Do you use the envelope system when you go to where you're not spending more than X amount of money? Yeah, for, for the gambling side of things, we definitely uh, only take with us what we're willing to lose that day. Yeah, yeah, that's a good strategy. I love Vegas. I used to travel there for work quite a bit because a lot of the tech conferences are there. Is that why you would go there for tech conferences? Uh, no, these were strictly just for vacations. That's cool. Yeah, I've, d I've done that quite a bit too. There's some really good info on your site about travel hacking Vegas, you know, if you wanted to do it on a budget. And yeah, Vegas can be expensive, but many people don't realize it. It can also be inexpensive because there are a lot of free things to do there too, like Fremont Street or even traveling to the Grand Canyon by bus is not that expensive. Have you guys done that where you've gone to, to the Grand Canyon from Vegas? Yeah, so we actually rented a car and did the uh, Hoover Dam and the Grand Canyon all, all in one day. Oh, cool. How long does that take to drive there? Uh, I want to say it's about four hours. So we, we get up pretty early and, and made the drive out and then stopped at the Hoover Dam on the way back. Oh, cool. All right. Well, let's get into your story. Um, you are a fire blogger. What got you interested in personal finance? Uh, so we weren't always interested in personal finance. Um, I think like many people, um, uh, your interest in personal finance begins when you need to start figuring out your money. Um, so it, it wasn't always that way. Um, while we were in college, uh, we started taking more of an interest in it when we were broke, quite frank. Um, yeah. my wife and I decided to move into an apartment together our junior year in a, an effort to cut our commute, which was over an hour, uh, between the two of us each day. And um, we were both going to school full time, both working. And, you know, prior to moving into the apartment, you know, we, we, we did rent some basic numbers to see how much we could afford, you know, rent wise and to make sure we could 
you know, buy food and cover the utilities. But we honestly had no idea what we were getting ourselves into. Yeah, I hear you. And now you're a software engineer. Is that right? That's correct. Okay, cool. I have a special place in my heart for software engineers. Uh, the reason is because I was in IT sales and without the help of software engineers, I wouldn't have been nearly as effective or effective at all, I should say. Uh, so we need each other, guys like you and me. <laughs> do, do you work in tandem with salespeople? Uh, no. No? Okay. That's cool. I remember when I left the company where I was working for about seven years, I was so I felt so much gratitude for the software engineers that I took them to a place called Fogo de Chao, which is like an all-you-can-eat Brazilian steakhouse because I just wanted them to know how much I appreciated them and that was the best way that I could think to do it. <laughs> so what kind of work do you do as a software engineer? Uh, so I do work for a government defense contractor. Um, so a lot of the work is uh, for the government. Okay. I actually read recently that software engineering was the most needed skill set in America. It's, it's right becoming more popular uh, as more jobs re require coding. Oh, yeah. Did you see on Twitter there there's, there's like this movement called How to Code? Did you see all the controversy surrounding that? Uh, no, actually, I haven't. Uh, well, it has to do with the automation of jobs that's coming and people kind of being snarky like, well, if your job's going to be automated, you need to learn how to code. <laughs> so that was a big thing on Twitter recently. But yeah, uh, software engineering is right above physical therapy in terms of professions that are needed. So if I were going to school today, I, I might choose one of those. I don't know. It's definitely hard to automate writing code. Yeah, yeah, that's true. If you're curious, at the bottom of the list, the occupation that is most saturated is dentistry, which surprised me. Um, in fact, I can tie that into personal finance. So I'm in Mexico right now. And about six months ago, I went to the dentist in Houston and he told me that I needed about $1,200 worth of dental work. And since I've spent so much time in Playa del Carmen, I basically lived there while I was taking Spanish classes a few years ago. So I was comfortable visiting a dentist in Playa. And long story longer, I was able to get the work done for I think it was $85. <laughs> so like 10% wow. of the cost of what it would have been in the United States. Yeah, it's just nuts. That's incredible. I know, man. So are you from the Philadelphia area? Yeah, I live about 45 minutes to an hour outside of Philly. Okay, cool. So is it easier to live a frugal lifestyle when you live in a small town, do you think? Um, so I wouldn't say I live in a small town. It's, it's pretty populated, uh, along the main line, leaving Philly mm. uh, house, house prices are pretty high. Um, commutes are awful. There's just a lot of people that, that, that travel towards the city every day and traffic can be overwhelming. Mm. Yeah, that's interesting. I imagine it's similar to living like in the woodlands or Katy in the Houston area. Cause that's about 45 minutes to an hour outside of Houston and yeah, the roads are so congested, it's ridiculous. But you can get so much more house for your money when you live that far out from the city. Is it comparable in Philadelphia? Yeah, that's exactly why we moved so far away from the city. Okay, cool. So do you own a house? Yeah, we actually purchased a house uh, when we were 21. Oh, wow. That's great. So what sort of things do you do to keep your expenses low? I know the, the finance community, the personal finance community talks a lot about what they refer to as the big three expenses, which are your housing costs, your transportation, 
and your food. Do you have ways of minimizing those big three expenses? Uh, so the, the, the big three for us, uh, food is always a challenge for us. Uh, we, we have a pretty busy lifestyle. Mm -hmm. Um, so reducing the amount of times that we go out to eat every month is sometimes a struggle. Mm -hmm. Um, as far as housing is concerned, uh, our mortgage is at least 500, if not 700 hours cheaper than, than renting something comparable, uh, closer to work. Um, and then as far as transportation is concerned, uh, we made sure we got cars with good gas mileage because we do commute. Uh, my drive is about 30 miles and uh, my wife drives about 20 and, uh, having something that's better on gas, uh, helps cut on the gas bill some. Yeah, I can imagine. So, wow, a 30 minute commute. And since my blog is about self-development largely, what kind of things do you do on your commute? Do you have like a, is it a learning period for you? Do you take advantage of that time to listen to something that might educate you or maybe further help you along the journey to fire? Yeah, most days I actually do listen to podcasts in, in the morning. Um, if there's not something that they interest me, I'll listen to an audio book. Mm -hmm. oh, that's cool. Do you have certain people in the fire community that you follow? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you mean as far as podcasting? Yeah, podcasting, or maybe you've read their book, or yeah, just whoever you like. Uh, probably the one I listen to most regularly is Choose Fi. Uh huh. I'm not familiar with that one. Is it? Um, is it on iTunes? Yeah, they're on every platform. It's probably one of the bigger. Uh, fire podcasts out there huh i have never visited choose fi what kind of things do they talk about do you have like a favorite episode uh they they cover everything uh fire related actually um i wouldn't say there's there's one episode that's my favorite really just the collaboration of all of them is just really re uh, relevant and valuable to anybody listening cool so i'm curious are you a dave ramsey guy <laughs> so Soon after we, we moved into our apartment junior year of, of college, uh, my wife and I did uh, take his uh, Financial Peace University and we did read The Total Money Makeover. And initially it, it was great for us. You know, it helped us uh, create a budget that was manageable. Uh, you know, we started getting our ducks in a row, so to speak. Mm -hmm. um, so after, as we went through Financial Peace University, we were definitely in the Dave Ramsey mindset, um, but my wife and I are always looking to learn more, and we're you know we're always thirsty for additional information. So you know, doing online research, joining different Facebook groups, we soon realized that not all of what Dave Ramsey was teaching didn't mathematically make sense to us. Mm -hmm. um, so today, I, I still recommend Dave Ramsey as a as a good starting point for people who maybe don't have the the mindset of how to approach their debt or how to, you know, stick to a budget, uh, you know, the, the core basic principles. Um, but there's some things that I, I don't agree with him hundred percent on. Can you give me an example? Uh, probably the biggest example is use of credit cards. Um, mm -hmm. I, I personally travel hack. So we, we do love using our, our credit card uh, travel rewards points to travel for significantly less. Um, another example would definitely be his approach to paying off debt, uh, which would be his, his method typically is described as the snowball method, um, which attacks the smallest balance first um, and disregarding the interest rates. 
which doesn't always make sense for everyone. It's a, it's a good mindset play. It helps you make you feel like you're, you're accomplishing something. Um, but the reality is, mathematically speaking, that might not always be the best solution. I totally agree with you. I, um, I don't do a lot of travel hacking, but in terms of Dave Ramsey's advice, where you take care of the uh, smallest debt in order to get a small psychological win, I, I am not in favor of that. If you have $30,000 in credit card debt with an, a 29.99% interest rate, but you also have a, a $9,000 debt at a 6% interest rate, you are much better off paying off the highest interest rate debt first. Is, is that what you're thinking too? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. So are you saying that you, it's good to start with Dave Ramsey, but then do you kind of move beyond him, sort of like graduate from Dave Ramsey and need some more, maybe more advanced financial independence type talk? Yeah, and I don't know if I'd necessarily say it's graduating from him. I think he helps build the, the foundation, those core elements of, of personal finance. Um, but yeah, definitely expanding your, your mindset outward and, and seeing what's out there and actually understanding the math behind you know, how credit card interest rates work, for example, uh, in the example you mentioned. Um, that, that example alone would save you thousands of dollars over the course of several years just on interest alone. Yeah. Another thing that I, I disagree with Dave Ramsey on is he believes that you shouldn't have more than 5% of your net worth in real estate. And when I'm coaching people to fire, I help them understand that you don't need as big of a net worth to retire. Of course, Dave Ramsey isn't coaching people to retire early, but if you have, let's say, a half million dollars of equity in real estate, that could be enough to retire on if you only need the rental income to cover your expenses because a half million dollars in equity could easily generate for you, you know, five to $8,000. And then you've got hopefully a 401k IRA and maybe some Vanguard investments on top of that. So yeah, I'm not in favor of that um, approach either. But for personal finance, I mean, it's good to get information from a wide variety of sources and then draw your own conclusions, right? That's what I do. And it sounds like that's what you do too. Yeah, absolutely. So you have a good job, right? With a, a solid income. Does does your wife also work? Uh, yeah, she actually does work full time uh, in the finance field. Oh, she's in finance. Yes. Okay. Is that what? Uh, what did you guys study in college? Uh, so my wife actually changed majors uh, soon after we started taking up a, a large interest in personal finance. Uh, she was in nursing, um, and she was discovering that that just wasn't for her. Mm -hmm. And uh, she, she then actually switched to finance. Um, and my undergraduate studies was computer science, which definitely correlates to the software engineering path. But Yeah. Okay. So she, is she totally on board with the pursuit of FIRE? Oh, absolutely. Nice. And do you guys have a target date to achieve financial independence? So I don't have necessarily a, a date in mind. Um, you know, we just focus on keeping our savings rate as high as possible. Um, the biggest unknown factors for us right now is I don't know where we'll live and I don't know, you know, what children will bring for us. Uh, we're hoping to have kids in the next few years. Mm -hmm. And with that, all the expenses with them, uh, will definitely adjust the number some. Yeah. Yeah. I want to ask you more about that. 
but one thing I think listeners may be curious about is why start a financial independence blog if you and your wife have good, solid jobs that keep you busy where you have a long commute? Um, most of the financial independence type bloggers are, a lot of them are trying to make a career out of it. <laughs> so it's not even really a side hustle for you, right? I mean, what, uh, what made you want to start a blog? So that's definitely a loaded question. Um, <laughs> one of the biggest issues that we had was explaining our life's choices and decisions to, you know, family, friends, and coworkers. And we thought that, you know, being able to document some of our own journey, as well as provide a wealth of information to anyone interested in learning more about fire, uh, just kind of fit the bill and, and made sense. Mm -hmm. Do you hope to monetize it at some point? Yeah, I hope that it starts paying for itself. It's definitely costing us, uh, a decent chunk of change and a lot of our time right now putting all these resources together and, and and documenting our journey along the way. Cool. And I noticed that you have some really good calculators on your site. What what is the math like behind financial independence? Uh, you mean like the four percent rule? Yeah, talk about the four percent rule. I think that's a good place to start. So the the, the basic um, math behind you know reaching uh, fire. Uh, is principled on the idea that you have enough uh, of, of your investments uh, to be able to withdraw 4% of them uh, in, a, in a quick math scenario. Uh, if you need $40,000 a year to cover your expenses, you would need a million dollars invested to be able to withdraw 4% of that uh, to live off of. Um, I, that's generally what's, what's talked about in the FIRE community. Mm -hmm. um, I, I think that that might not be conservative enough, especially for those hoping to retire in their 30s or early 40s. Um, uh, to me, a safer withdrawal rate is closer to 3%. Um, but yeah, our, our calculators um, actually allow you to adjust and play with that number to see what that looks like. Um, and all of the, the math behind that is, is broken down for you. That's cool. Yeah, that's exactly how it works, right? If you have a million and you can live on 40,000, then you're set. If you have a million and a half and you can live on 60,000, which is five grand a month, then you're set. And I think that um, those with the fire inside and discipline, fire inside, no pun intended, and the discipline to retire early are probably going to, because they have the habits of saving and investing so much money, if they see that the standard rule is 4%, and it's got a 99.6% chance of you not running out of money. I think that's actually the percentage. It could be even a little higher than that. But uh, those people are going to probably tend not to go full per, full 4% and realize that if you retire in your early, in your 30s, you're probably going to, or even your 20s, I think Mr. Money Mustache retired in his 20s. <laughs> but um yeah, you're you're gonna want to um, probably stay closer to three or three and a half percent. Which is that something that you would agree with? Oh, absolutely. And, and the other thing that doesn't get taken into consideration there is if you do have rental properties, or if you know you're gonna get some form of a pension, uh, that money isn't coming from an investment. So you would actually just deduct how much you need yearly, and subsidize that with the other income you have coming in regularly, whether that be through rental income or, or, or pension of some sort. Yeah, that's a good, that's a good point. You have a, a wide variety of assets, hopefully. And if you have, let's say a 401k and you're not withdrawing from it, hopefully you wouldn't prior to age 
you know, 59 and a half or whatever it is, then that money can continue compounding without you touching it, especially, I mean, I think that that's one of the advantages of having rental properties is that you could effectively live off the rental income from your investment properties. And then if you have a 401k from all the years that you worked, or like you said, a pension, all of that stuff is, is separate from what's providing you an income. But I do notice in the FIRE community that a lot of people live exclusively off of the VTSAX Vanguard fund. Some of them have VTI. Do you invest outside of your, uh, tell me about your investments. Like how, how do you approach it? Yeah, sure. So uh, we, we definitely utilize all of our tax advantage accounts first. Um, so we do have our 401ks. We both have Roth IRAs. We have an HSA. Um, we have a 529 and a taxable brokerage account. Um, and we, we definitely are uh, big VTSEX slash VTI investors, uh, as you'd mentioned. Have you compared the two funds, VTSEX and VTI? Yeah, so VTSEX is actually the same as VTI as, as far as uh, what the holdings are. Uh, VTSEX is the mutual fund. Um, and it's actually an admiral share that as of November no longer requires a $10,000 minimum investment. Uh, they've actually dropped it to $3,000. Um, so differences between them being VTI is the ETF equivalent uh, offered at Vanguard. Um, so you're able to at least begin investing below that $3,000 minimum. Um, the downside to that is that VTI does not allow you to automatically set up an investment plan uh, like a mutual fund would. And, and for us personally, uh, one thing that really helps us keep our finances on autopilot is setting up those automatic withdrawals uh, so we don't even have to think about or even see that money. Yeah, a lot of people get rich by saving automatically. That's that's cool. Um, how do you think about asset allocation at your age? And by the way, how old are you? Uh, I'm 24. Wow. Okay. And you're already married and you're already on the road to fire, man. This is awesome. So how do you think about asset allocation? So right now, our total holdings probably are composed of about 2.5% bonds. The rest mm -hmm. of it's pretty aggressively invested in, in, in mutual funds, index funds, and uh, other various things. Okay. How did you come to invest in bonds and how did you decide on two and a half percent? So most of that is actually just uh, through a couple target date funds that we have. Uh, they do hold some bonds within them. Mm -hmm. um, if I had a personal preference, it would be to hold a hundred percent uh without any bond holdings actually mm. okay assuming you've finished school in the last couple of years did did you graduate maybe in 2017 or i graduated my undergrad in 2016 and i'm actually still in school for my master's right now uh, and i started that in 2017 oh good okay what are you studying software engineering oh, okay so you can get a master's in software engineering now Oh, I didn't know that. Okay, so I'm curious. Do you think that you would be on the financial independence journey if you hadn't come out of college following about a seven or eight year bull market? So as far as the, the bull market is concerned, I don't actually think that played any effect on us fire, following the FIRE movement as far as our investment choices or how we decided to save or spend our money. Um, you know, the, the, the big thing to remember here is that this is a long-term play where this is not 
we're not trying to reach fire in two years. You know, we want to reach fire over the course of a decade or two. And, and with those investments, they're going to fluctuate. And, and we know that that's going to happen. So while throwing money into the market while it's hot right, you know, in the past few years has definitely helped us grow our investments. Uh, I know, you know eventually there will be a downturn, but that's not going to discourage us in any way. Okay. I think a lot of the fire bloggers, I think the prevalence of fire bloggers can probably be attributed to the record bull market that we have now. And I know that that, that didn't play a part in your wanting to start a blog, but um, the more people that I talk to who are younger than say 33, who have never lived through a downturn in the economy, like in 08, 09, um, they tend to be overly optimistic and probably overly aggressive. Who am I to say if they're being overly aggressive? But uh, just based on my experience, having lived through a downturn, I, I, I tend to be more conservative than my friends who are, let's say, 29. Um, but yeah, like from 1966 to 82, the Dow Jones Industrial Average went sideways. I mean, it was like at 990 in 1966. And then in the subsequent 16 years to 1982, it traded between 600 and 1,000, and it didn't hit 990 again until 1982. And then, of course, we had skyrocketing inflation in the late 70s and early 80s. I mean, when I was born, mortgage rates were like 18%. I mean, that is nuts. Yeah. Yeah, so that was a long stretch of low returns and high inflation. Um, there was strong wage growth, so that helped. But um, yeah, people were living through an environment that was exactly the opposite of where we are now, which is high returns in the market and low inflation. And as far as wages are concerned, they've, they've pretty much been long stagnated. But yeah, I'm old enough to remember the late 80s when Japan's market was the envy of all the world. Um, their stock market peaked, I think, in December 89, and it hasn't come close to reaching that same level since then. In fact, their stock market today is half of that peak in the late 80s. I mean, it's just crazy. So their stock market probably serves as a model for what can go wrong economically. And they actually refer to the late 90s as their lost decade. So anyway, just something I thought was worth mentioning. Um, so you said that you invest in a 401k or do you invest in a Roth IRA also? Yeah, we both have Roth IRAs. Okay. And then HSA. Um, do you have a 529? Did I, did I hear you say you have a 529? Yeah, we, we actually do have a 529 set up. Wow. Okay. So I, I heard you say that you and your wife hope to have kids someday soon. Um, you, you have started investing for that kid's college already? Yes, we have. Wow. Okay. I didn't even know you could do that. How does that work? <laughs> so you can set up a 529 in, in anyone's name. Uh, so like right now we have our setup in my wife's name. And the intent there is to change the beneficiary uh, to our children uh, once they're born and they have their own social security number. Ha. Interesting. So the guy who is considered the godfather of early retirement, his name is Mr. Money Mustache. Are you a fan? Yeah, I'm a big fan of Pete. Yeah, okay, cool. Why does there seem to be more software engineers in the fire community than any other profession? 
So I, I think there's a couple things to consider in answering that question. Uh, software engineers generally make above average incomes, uh, which definitely yeah. puts them in a good place financially or you know, as, as far as earnings are concerned. Mm-hmm. Uh, and also from, from the mindset of, of being an engineer, generally we're wired a little bit differently. Um, so we do like to understand how things work. Um, you know, we like to dig a little deeper and, and take things apart to gain a deeper level of understanding. Um, I know I oftentimes find myself applying similar principles at home with my finances as I do at work. You know, I love digging deeper and asking questions and you know, seeing what other information is out there you know, about it. Yeah, that's cool. So are you more prone to impulse purchases than your wife or the other way around? Honestly, we really don't have much of an impulse purchase history from either of us. Wow. Okay. But you've attacked your debt, right? Is, so did you graduate with student loans from your undergrad? I, I did not have any student loans. My wife, however, did have to take out student loans. Mm. And are you still paying those off? Yeah. So it's, it's funny you ask because we've actually decided to slow down paying them off. Uh, while we were in, in school, we were aggressively paying down on them to reduce that uh, payment that was going to be approaching as we graduated. Um, so we, we knocked out uh, a little over $20,000 off of her student loans, which is about half of her student loans at the time. Um, and since graduating, now she gets employer reimbursement. Uh, so they're actually helping her pay on her student loans. So it's, it's really free money for us. And, and the interest rates are all fixed interest with pretty low rates, low threes and 4%. Mm-hmm. So we've actually elected to invest more rather than aggressively pay those down right now. Okay. So do you track your net worth? Absolutely. Okay. So you have a ledger where you have your assets on one side and your liabilities on the other? We are huge fans of personal capital. <laughs> oh, okay. Cool. Do you have a link on your website to personal capital? Uh, it's just personalcapital.com. Yeah. I'm just curious. Do you have a link I, to it? I don't have an affiliate link. Okay. Because I notice a lot of financial or personal finance bloggers do. I mean, it seems like 90% of them do. And I'm wondering to myself, should I have a personal capital link? But I don't use them. So um, I would have to start using them first. I actually I actually use a uh, an app called Toshl. It's spelled T-O-S-H-L. And I've been using them forever. In fact, when I mentioned them on the Bigger Pockets podcast, the CEO and founder sent me a t-shirt for myself and lady overseas. <laughs> so that was pretty cool. I guess I advertise for them now. That's pretty cool. Yeah. Um, how much money are you putting away every month? Uh, every month, including employer contributions? Or let's say in a year. In a year, right now, we're saving a little over $70,000. $70,000. Holy shnikes. That is, uh, that's awesome. Let's see, I have a compound interest calculator right here. If you start with nothing, and let's be conservative, you said you're 24 years old? Yes. Let's say you earn 6% on your money. If you save 70 grand a year and you're 24 years old, by the time you're my age, which is 38, you will have $1.5 million. (laughs) (laughs) If you earn an 8% interest rate, you will have, and by the way, both of those numbers are probably conservative, but if you save 70 grand a year and you're 24 years old, by the time you're 38, you will have $1.8 million. <laughs> uh, that's funny. I, I, those numbers make me laugh. It's so awesome. So you, you want to take kids into the, you want to take kids into account for 
maybe a target date for fire. Have you, do you have an estimation of how much kids will cost? Is that something you've started researching? Uh, so we, we've done some research and, and it's kind of a, an unknown area too, because we, we're still pretty early in our career. So we know that as time continues, our, our salaries will hopefully go up. Um, so it's kind of a balancing act between <laughs> the difference in increasing salaries and increasing costs with children. Um, I'm, my hope is that our income continues to go up and uh, the cost of kids is just really absorbed with our additional income. Um, as far as a cost per year, uh, you read online, there, there's so many different things that people say, uh, oh, it's 20,000 a year, it's, it's 10,000 a year, it's, you know, for us, the biggest cost is going to be childcare. Um, yeah. If we go that route, and and that in this area is between a thousand and fifteen hundred a month, depending on where you put them. Yeah, my buddies pay about twelve hundred dollars a month. It seems like on average per kid. Yeah, it's about what it is here. Yeah. So you said that you own your home. Is real estate part of your investing strategy? Right now, we're not interested in in getting into the real estate investing game just yet. Um, I do think it's something we would consider in the future uh, as our, our, our other buckets start to fill up more. Uh, mm -hmm. I do think we'll want to diversify and, and maybe get into that game a little bit. But mm -hmm. as of right now, uh, the, the play for owning our home was simply cost savings. Okay. Where do you store your money that you're saving 70 grand a year? Do you have a place that you invest it temporarily or do you use money markets or savings accounts? How do you handle that? So probably 95% of that money is all coming straight out of our paychecks. We don't even see it. Nice. And it goes straight to like an online savings account or do you, do you bank at a local branch? Um, so that's, that's across the 401ks, IRAs, HSA, uh, 529 taxable account. Uh, that's really just distributed amongst those straight out of our paychecks every month. Oh, wow. Okay. So even Vanguard too, right? Once you take care of your pre-tax contributions, you send money to Vanguard automatically? Yeah. So like my, my Roth IRA, for example, comes directly. It's a direct payroll distribution right on my paycheck uh, directly to my IRA. That's cool. And do you budget or is it pretty much free reign after you've put away what amounts to $5,800 a month? So since we, we did come from that Dave Ramsey background, um, that definitely ingrained in us the importance of having a budget. Mm -hmm. And I, I actually do think that having a budget and, and learning to stick to it, maybe not reviewing it every day, but understanding where your spending limits fall within mm -hmm. um, was really, it still is part of our, uh, I'll say, success in, in being able to save as much as we do. Mm -hmm. um, it just takes takes the variability out of it, and you know this is my limit. This is you know what I can spend in this category, uh, and obviously things come up, and, and you have to make some changes. But overall, it helps us stay on the right path. Yeah, that's cool. What is your favorite personal finance book? My personal favorite would have to be The Simple Path to Wealth by J.L. Collins. Okay. Yeah, I've heard of that book. I haven't read it, but he's excellent. In fact. I think I follow him on Twitter and he just tweeted about what advice I would give to my, what financial advice I would give to my daughter or maybe that he does give to his daughter. Did you happen to see that one? Um, no, I didn't actually. Yeah. It's really good. If I had time, I'd pull it up. But yeah, JL Collins is, is great for 
uh, wealth building advice. Do you have a favorite podcaster outside of Choose FI? Uh, so I listen to a lot of podcasts, so it's really hard to pick a favorite per se. Mm-hmm. Um, and not all the podcasts I listen to are, are finance related. Um, that's, a, that's a hard question to answer. Uh, I, I don't listen wholly to, to just every single episode from all the podcasts that I listen to. Mm-hmm. Um, I kind of pick and choose because I am interested in listening to so many of them. Yeah. I like radical personal finance. Um, shoot, I had a buddy that texted me this morning about which personal finance podcast I recommend outside of Man Overseas. So I think he was being nice. But um, I just pulled up J.L. Collins' uh, nine basics. And he says, avoid this. Number one is avoid fiscally irresponsible people. Never marry one or otherwise give him access to your money. <laughs> so don't marry someone who's fiscally irresponsible. I think they talked about this on Bigger Pockets too. They said you want to marry someone who is a cash a cash flow positive husband or wife. <laughs> yeah, I thought that was cool. He also thinks number 2 is avoid money managers. He says that it's your money and no one will care for it better than you. Number 3 on his list is avoid debt. Number 4 is save a portion of every dollar you get. Number five is the greater percent of your income you save and invest, the sooner you'll have FU money. (laughs) I love that. Um, He says, try 50% with no debt. This is perfectly doable. So you want to get to the point where you can tell people FU and you are, uh, I think it's Taleb that says that you are free in direct proportion to how many people you can say F you to. <laughs> I like that. Yeah, he's good. Let's see. Number six is put your money into the Vanguard Total Stock Market Index, which is VTSAX, which we already talked about. Number seven is realize the market and the value of your shares will sometimes drop dramatically. People all around you will panic. They'll be screaming, sell, sell, sell. Ignore this. Even better, buy more shares. I like that. Do you ever think about keeping cash on the sidelines in case we were to hit a recession and then you could gobble up a lot more shares? I don't try to time the market. I don't think that's wise for most people. Um, it, it, and to me, the most important thing is, is time in the market, uh, not timing the market. Yep. Um, I, I, don't, I don't personally set aside buckets of cash just in hopes that the market takes a downturn. Yeah, so you dollar cost average, huh? Yeah. Okay. Number eight, he says, when you can live off the dividends from VTSAX, you are financially free. Now, that's something that we kind of touched on. So if you had a million-dollar portfolio and you could live off the dividends of, let's say, the, port- let's say the, the fund pays 3 or 4% in dividends, then you would need to live off of three or $4,000 a month, which is tough. So... If you've got all VTSAX and you've got a million and a half dollars in wealth, then you're looking at $6,000 a month in order to be able to retire. Am I doing the math right? Yeah. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, it's tough. And that's why I think that you should diversify and get some rental income going. A lot of people have had success like Mr. Money Mustache investing in VTSAX, but I know that he too is diversifying into real estate. In fact, he's talking about building a new town. <laughs> like, have you seen that? A green uh, economic or environmentally friendly town. He's real big on biking and all of that. 
Yeah, I, I did see him talking about that. I'm not sure how serious he was, though. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't know either. I didn't read the whole article. Number nine is the less you need, the more free you are. I saw a quote recently that said that those who are financially independent enjoy a life or enjoy a freedom that those who are busy upgrading their lifestyle cannot fathom. I love that. So yeah, that's JL Collins. I like that you recommended him. He's got some great stuff on his website that I was just perusing through. So I don't know too many software engineers who don't play video games. <laughs> are you a gamer? So in my free time, I, I what little free time I do have, I, I do love to play video games. I always have. Yeah. You say always. When did you start and what uh, game system did you start playing on? Started with an N64. And over the years, I've had all the Xbox and Wii's and PlayStations and uh now I, I don't buy into them as much as I as I, when I was younger, but I, I definitely always tried to keep a diversified list of, of platforms and games available. <laughs> That's cool. So related to that, is there an individual stock related to gaming that you think has tremendous upside? I personally don't really get into individual stocks too much. Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm pretty much a straight index investor from that standpoint. Smart. So you don't dabble at all, even with like two to 3% of your wealth? No, not, not at this time. Maybe in the future, but not right now. Yeah. The, the folks that I coach, one of the things that I tell them is that I think Dave Ramsey gives this advice too, is that you should take less than 10% of your wealth. And I, I, I do considerably less than 10%, but take some risk with it. And I wish that I had taken a little more risk on some individual stocks that I purchased because a lot of times there is asymmetrical opportunity there. If you invest a little bit, 10, 15 years from now, you could, you know, 10, 20 X your money, whereas that little bit you could lose. I mean, individual stocks are very risky, obviously. Um, so not at all, huh? That I'm surprised by that. Yeah, it's, it's not something... That right now, anyway, that seems the risk that comes associated with that uh, seems worth it to us. Yeah. Yeah, I can get behind that. I do take a little risk. And so one of the things, just to continue what I was saying, is that I'll encourage people to take some risk. And usually what I invest in is things that are available to me every day, things that I see or use or encounter um, and usually in your profession, you have not inside information, maybe, well, maybe you could call it inside information, but like if you're a doctor, for example, there are drugs that are working on patients and maybe, you know, you take a little portfolio and invest in Pfizer or something. You know, I don't think there's any ethical concern doing that. Yeah, I definitely think if you're going to go into the individual stocks, you should at least understand wholly what you're investing in. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. And there's a lot of information to consider. Guys like Warren Buffett spend, you know, 10 hours a day reading and studying and that way they can invest in individual stocks. But what about, do you think somebody could have luck just following somebody like Warren Buffett or Ray Dalio or Howard Marks, you know, some of those major investors, they, a lot of times they'll share their portfolio. Do you think that you could mimic their portfolio and have a lot of success? Do you think that's a smart way to go if you're trying to beat the indexes? So I don't, 
personally think that you should ever to me that feels like a get rich quick mm. uh you shouldn't you shouldn't be trying to uh kill it like they are and so, some of them you know boast oh, i made x percentage this year well they don't always talk about the years that they had a bad year you know you always, <laughs> yeah. hear, you always hear the good side of the story there's never you know the uh the, the other side of the, the story never really surfaces as much yep and to go back to the first thing we talked about, that's what happens in Vegas. <laughs> you only hear the stories about people that win, but you realize that it wouldn't be so magnificent with the tall structures and beautiful buildings if uh, people were winning all the time. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. Cool. So I'm going to ask you a question, if it's all right, about being married, because you're young and you're a happily married man. And I like to ask questions that might educate young men out there. Is that cool? So let's say you were writing a book about how to be a good husband. What would be the title of the book or one of the most important chapters in the book? Something about communication. Uh, I mm. think the most important thing in a relationship is having open communication and both being on the same page mm. and, and understanding, you know, if there is differences, how to effectively work through them or to you know, find that middle ground so that it doesn't turn into an argument or a, you know, a fight or a misunderstanding of some sorts. Yeah, communication is key. Very good. Last question for you. As I'm sure you know, the there's a conference every year for money nerds like you and myself. And this year it's in Washington, DC. It's called FinCon. Will you be there and will you be bringing your wife along? My wife and I will both be in attendance this year. We're excited. This is gonna be our first FinCon actually. Nice, okay. Well, maybe that wasn't my last question. Did you, have you ever attended like local meetups with the FinCon community or FIRE community? So I actually admin one of the local communities uh, based in Philly. We have, gosh, almost 500 people in the local Facebook group now. Um, and we, we try to host monthly meetups. It doesn't always work out that way. Um, but it, about once a month, I would say in the past, for the past year or so, we've been meeting and it's, it's just a lot of fun uh, being able to connect with people uh, who are all following that same journey that you are or uh, being able to bounce ideas off of people or just honestly having friends that are remotely interested in talking about finances. And, and the discussion isn't always focused on on finance either. It's It's really just finding people you connect well with. Okay. So is that a national organization that has local branches where people listening in maybe Houston or Dallas or wherever they're listening, they could find a local meetup like that? Yes. Yeah, so the local meetup group that I admin is actually run by the Chooseify uh, community. Um, if you go to their website, chooseify.com slash local, there's a list of all of the communities. And it's not just in the U.S. They're literally in all over the world and every continent. Oh, okay, cool. So they can go to ChooseFI on Facebook. Is that the best way to find it? Um, their website, ChooseFI.com slash local. Uh, it takes you right to their site and to pull up the list of, there's a map you can pull up and it just has all the lists of every local group. Uh, like I know, for example, Pennsylvania has three local groups, Central PA, Pittsburgh, and Philadelphia. So each state has, some, some of them have, you know, multiple groups, especially the larger states like California and such. Um, and some of these groups are approaching a thousand members now. Wow. Cool. I imagine being part of a group like that helps to prevent you from trying to keep up with the Joneses, <laughs> which is a problem in America, right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Cool. Well, by the way, I'll be at FinCon too. So I look forward to meeting you there this year. Likewise. Uh, yeah. 
So, man, this has been great. This is full of good information for people who want to jump on the fire track or at least investigate it first. Um, if, if listeners want to connect with you, how would they find you? Uh, I'm on pretty much every social media platform. I'm probably most active on Twitter at How to Fire. Okay. Um, but yeah, you can come over to our website, shoot us an email, whatever. Um, pretty, pretty available. Very good. And the website is howtofire.com. John, I appreciate you being here, man. Thanks for having me. You're welcome. Um, so I'll take us out. Thank you, friends, for listening. I know that you could be doing anything in the world, but you chose to spend your time with us, and I really appreciate it. It means a lot to me. So if you're not already subscribed to the blog, please do so at manoverseas.com. Also, you can follow me on Twitter. I'm at man underscore overseas. By the way, my Instagram is the same, man underscore overseas. Thank you, folks.